invite you to be here Wednesday evening at 6.30. And then also as we partake of the Lord's table after the teaching this morning, that feel free to, to take a card, fill it out for prayer, and also a praise card if you'd like to leave a praise so we can actually share those uh, in prayer on this coming Wednesday night. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of James this morning, chapter 3, verse 13. This marks seven weeks in our series, Teaching Through the Book of James. Today, false wisdom in comparison to true wisdom. And so before we read this text, which is where we're going to start this morning, to give us time for the Lord's table at the end of the teaching, then before we do that, could you turn to someone around you and say good morning to them? Could you say good morning? You can shake their hand. It's okay to touch them. It's fine if they you know, give you permission. Remember what we said before about a husband and a wife. Keep that in mind, though. Don't dismiss that also. Yes, Uh, we are thankful you're here. I was listening to you sing just before I came up here, and I want to say it is absolutely amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. And I, you know, I can't thank you on behalf of the Lord. I'm not doing that. I'm thinking on behalf of Mark, but I can just imagine in my imagination how it pleases God so greatly to hear you worship and to hear your voices come together. And it truly sounds like one voice. And that is what is amazing to me. I don't believe that there's anything that can really replace the corporate, the dynamic of the corporate worship setting. And so thank you so much for being worshipers. And, and I know that it touches the heart of God. Let's read together in the book of James chapter 3, verse 13, as it talks about wisdom to us this morning. And so remember, James is this, this moment in your busy schedule that you take out to reflect. It's this pause. James is a biblical pause for us. So it says, wait a minute, take time, stop doing what you're doing, and look at your own life, because the Word of God is like this mirror to you that you look into, and then it really shows you who you are and what is in your heart. So he says, who is wise and understanding among you? So it's a question. So give you a moment to think about it. By his good conduct, let him show his works to the in the meekness of wisdom. Stop for a minute. A few weeks ago, we simply went over this topic of that James says that faith without works is dead. And James never moves beyond that after he speaks that. He begins to talk about that of faith and that outward working of faith within our lives. It's not like it's something he mentions and then backs up, but yet it's a a thread that we find throughout the book of James. So he says, hey, if you say you have wisdom, then live by wisdom is what he says. Yeah, if you say you're going to have it, then show it to me is really what he's saying. And to break it down, I think more as understanding for us that if you can't say that you're wise and go around acting like a moron is what he's saying. Yes. And you say, Mark, I don't read that anywhere, but that's exactly what he's saying to us. So he continues in verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Verse 15, first of all, begins to differentiate between two types of wisdom that he talks about. He talks about that of earthly wisdom and that of heavenly wisdom, true wisdom and false wisdom. So here's what he says in verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. So it's earthly wisdom, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and it is demonic. Those are really powerful words, aren't they? For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. And then he says in verse 17, he talks about that of the other wisdom. If one is earthly, then one is heavenly. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And this is what I love, because here's the result of this kind of heavenly wisdom in your life. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So he's talking about two types of wisdom, 
false wisdom and that of true wisdom. It's interesting that what he's saying to us is this, that there's a way to live your life that's wise, and there the, there's a way to live your life that's foolish. It would be hard-pressed for any of us, I think, to find someone who says, no, that's not true. There's really no dumb way to live your life, so to speak. You know, there's, there's no foolish way to live your life. You just kind of make it up as you go, sort of. And, and so there's real no, no way to foolishly or wisely live your life. And James says, no, understand that there is a wise way to approach life and a foolish way to approach life. But before we flesh out these six verses together, then I think we have to understand two really powerful theological terms or facts. There are two, there are two great facts because here is the thing. To really understand and I think to really grasp the fact uh, that God wants you to live in fullness of life and God wants you to live in fullness of joy, not always happy, but fullness of joy, then you have to understand these two theological facts. You say, Mark, give those to me because I came here this morning really needing some fullness in my life and I came here really needing some joy. So give me those two theological things. So here they are since you've asked for them. Here they are. The first is this, God is for God. Well, what does that mean? God is for God. Well, let me break it down. Here's exactly what it means. It means that you're not the point. That's exactly what it means. It means that you're not the point, that you're not the sun, that everything revolves around in the universe. And we struggle with that. And here's why we struggle with that, because our sinful heart wants us to be the point. We do. That is the, that is the driving uh, way, I guess, and energy of our heart. Yes, and in everything we do, when we get on the road and we drive, get out of the way, the road is mine. I'm headed, I'm an important person, headed somewhere very important at home. Get out of my chair, that's my spot in the house. You can't sit there, that belongs to me at church. Don't sit on that pew. I've been sitting on that pew for years. That's my holy place and spot in this church, so you can't sit there. And if you have any any you know uh, history with church, then you know exactly what I mean, that this is my time, this is me time, that I deserve this in life. And I want it all to revolve around me. I am the uppermost of my own affections. And commercials reinforce that. It's all about me. But when you go to the Bible, here's the thought. When you go to the Bible, it doesn't say that. In fact, it says something absolutely to the contrary about who we are and our relationship with God. It says something totally different when you begin to look at the Scriptures that when it's, when, because, you know, when I think about it's about me, what I tend to do is this. I tend to bring God into the mix sometimes. I really do. And so I look at God is this, well, God is somehow trapped in this magic genie lamp. And all I got to do is find that. And how do I find that? I find that by having this intellectual ascent of who he is. I read the Bible more. I do my devotion every day. I do good deeds toward others. And somehow I'm searching to find that. And and at some point when I do discover the genie lamp that God is in, then if I rub it the right way by saying the right things and doing the right things, that somehow God is going to give me all the wishes of my life. It is. Now, what's interesting about the genie lamp is that somebody, some people have been searching for these all of their life. I have found one because it said on the internet, this is a genuine genie's lamp. It did. And if you have been looking for one, I am going to let you know the secret of where I found this. Are you ready? I found it on Amazon. Isn't that amazing? 
that they have it, and it says it is absolutely real. So we look at God, and God is somehow trapped in this. And if I do the right things, and I say the right things, and I rub this the right way, that somehow God is going to give me all the wishes of my life, because life is about me. It is truly about me. Yes. And I always thought, you know, if I were to find one of these, and I had three wishes, that I I thought about this, and it's kind of weird, I know, that waste thought time maybe on this, but I thought my very first wish would be that I would be granted unlimited wishes for the rest of my life. And I thought, that's exactly, so then I wouldn't have to worry about that. But see, we bring God into this mix of, well, this is all about me, and our uppermost affection is simply focused upon me. And when I read the Bible, it's different, because what the Bible says to me is this, that God is uppermost in his own affection. Understand that, that God is for God, that he himself is the son that everything in the universe revolves around. I realize that everything he does and all that he is about is ultimately about his name and his renown. And there's something really powerful in a weird way about that that sets me free from a lot of things because it is the best news probably that you could ever hear in the universe. It is. Now, before you draw the wrong conclusions, understand this. When I say God is about God and you're not, you're not the uppermost of his affection. I'm not saying that God does not love you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you are not important to God. I'm not saying that God is is like against you and not for you. That's not what I'm saying because the scripture bears those things to be true. I understand that. But you're not uppermost of his affections. You're not because if you were, wrap your mind around this, if you were, then it would make God an idolater because you would be the point of his worship. So we're not. So Mark, are you saying that God is some maniac, egotistical kind of individual who's always saying, praise me, praise me, and dance before me, and worship me, and raise your hands, and, and give your time to me? Are you saying that? Because if that's so, then God is out of control, and somebody needs to reel God in and let God know that that's not proper behavior. And if you want to do that, you go ahead and try that. But I'm not. But, here, but if, you, if you think that when you hear this statement, then can I tell you, you're in good company. We talk a lot in this room. For some reason, we, we quote a lot from C.S. Lewis. I'm not sure why. I notice in our Hope Kids room, there's a big poster on the side. It's a quote from C.S. Lewis. So I'm not sure. But you, do you even know who he is? Do you know who he is? Did you know C.S. Lewis was a professor of medieval literature at Cambridge at Oxford? you know what that means? He's smarter than all of us. That's exactly what that means, right? Yes, it's exactly what it means. Before becoming a Christian, he's an agnostic. He's an agnostic. Why was he an agnostic? He saw God as being distant and cruel and uninvolved. Why? Because his mother dies very young of cancer. He, he serves in World War I. He sees all of these horrific atrocities of war. And he thinks God is a cruel and an unconcerned God. He begins to read the Bible because literature is his thing. And he finds himself reading the book of Psalms. And C.S. Lewis says after he reads the book of Psalms, his view on worship is this, that God sounds like a little old lady begging for compliments. Interesting, isn't it? Now, for all the ladies in the room, don't take that personal. And by the way, I didn't say it. C.S. Lewis said it, okay? Understand that. So don't, don't get upset with me. But yet he says that God sounds like a little old lady begging for compliments when he asks us to praise him. But can I prove to you from Scripture this morning that God is about God? I want to literally prove to you in not a figurative way, but literally I want to prove to you that God is, is about God. It's the book of Psalms 
23. Psalm 23. Oh, you know it. It is very, very familiar to all of us. Psalm 23 and verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We know that part. But look what he says. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And if that is, Mark, your source of argument about God not being just not about us only, then then you've lost your argument because it says he makes me lie down in green pasture. He makes me walk beside still waters. And that sounds pretty awesome. Go on to read. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness. But for what reason does he do that? For his name's sake. That is so powerful that we frame God in that view. The driving point of God's heart, when God blesses me and saves me and redeems me, he rescues me, he heals me, all the works that he does within my life, the driving point of all of that is what we find in Ephesians chapter 1, and that is for the praise and the glory of his name. Not that I might be awesome, not that I might be awesome, but in the clear lack of my awesomeness, God is completely awesome. Yes, that's it. That in the lack of my awesomeness, that he is absolutely and completely awesome. And, and I love that thought. I, I do because it just frees me. It opens so many amazing things up within my life. It does, you know, C.S. Lewis, I begin to go back and read some things that he had written about worship. Can I read a sort of long quote from him? But listen to this. And at the very end, I think it just hits home so powerfully about this topic. He says this, The most obvious fact about praise, whether God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless shyness is deliberately brought in to check it. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather and wine and dishes and actors and motors and horses and colleges and countries and historical personages and children and flowers and mountains and rare stamps and rare beetles. And this is now this is C.S. Lewis. But this is what I love. Even sometimes politicians are scholars, he says. Yes. My whole more general difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying to us as regards the supremely valuable, what we delight to do, what we indeed can't help doing about everything else we value. And this is what he says. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but it completes the enjoyment, he says. It completes the enjoyment. Oh, this kind of makes sense now. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. What God is doing when God is about God and God says, praise me and worship me, and God says, follow me and delight in me, he's not begging for a compliment from you and I. No, no. What he's doing, he's trying to give us the thing that you and I need the most, that it's not about me, it's, but it's all about him. A delight in the Lord frees me to rejoice in him, refrees my soul to magnific- magnificently rejoice in him. Uh, do you really know what it's like to live free of that? Do, do you know what it's like to live free of thinking life is completely about you? gave that a lot of thought this week. What is that like? What is that like? 
Because when I live life about me, man, I have expectations about everything. And what I've learned in life is most of the time, most things that I have these great expectations about usually don't meet those expectations. But I have all these expectations about a lot of things. And so those things and those issues in life better line up with what I want. They better line up what I want. So I I thought about a few things. Now, here's the first thing, and it's sort of chauvinistic. Maybe you think this way. I don't, but maybe you do. I have to put that out there first. But it's like this. When I get home, my wife better be ready to serve me. Oh, you can feel the tension in this room when I say that, can't you? Yes. Like, what do you mean? Like caveman kind of thinking. No, my wife better be ready to serve me. Traffic better get out of my way because I am the most important thing. The professor in my class better be to my approval. My supervisor supervisor better work to recognize my accomplishments more. But yet, what I realize is when life is, a not, when life is about me, then I'm not free to serve others because I constantly have expectations of everybody and everything around me. So I'm not free to love my wife like I should or my children or my friends or my neighbor. I can't do that. And, and, and I realize that what I understand is that it only leads to frustration and it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Now, we're all family. We greeted one another. And I'm not going to have you say something to someone around you, so relax for a moment, okay? Because you really brace yourself for that. But can I have a little family conversation with you for a moment? I do. Yeah. For those of you that are always angry. Now, listen. Don't shut this out yet. But listen to me. For those of you that are already angry, the more your life is about you, the more miserable of a human being you're going to be. Yes. If you want to have a miserable... Can I tell you how to have a miserable marriage? Can I tell you how to do that? Be the uppermost of your own affections. Yes, absolutely. But the more that I understand that this is not about me, the freer I am to serve and, to other, serve and love others around me. That is, the more I understand that this is not about me, that I'm not the center of the universe, what I realize is this, the more that I don't take things personal. I don't take things personal. That traffic is not personal to me when I can't get to where I'm going on time. I just should leave a little earlier. It's usually my fault anyway. People are driving still in front of me. And I do realize that some drivers are morons. I do realize that, you know? I understand that. I just got to throw that out there. I'm human, right? Yes, I understand that, but it's not personal because life does not revolve around me, that I am free from all of that because it's not about me. So if God is about God and not ultimately about me in my life, not only have I been set free from things to not be about me, but every command in the Bible, if God is about God, every command in the Bible, what I realize leads to my joy, that God does not seek begrudging submission on my behalf when it comes to my obedience. He doesn't. I, I, let, me, let me flesh that out for you. Because I want to use marriage as an example here for a moment. If you ask people who are in a miserable marriage, say, how's your marriage, you know? And they tell you, honestly, the vibe from them, the vibe you get is not, man, I would really like to have that kind of relationship when I get married someday. That's really what I want. That's not the vibe that cold and distant and angry people give out from their relationship. That's not. If you pull a husband aside who is probably in a rough, miserable marriage, you say, hey, how's your marriage? And he says, oh, man, you just wouldn't believe this. But every night I lay in the bed and I dream about death. I do because I can't divorce her. So I've been praying for God to kill me. You know, 
And, and if you're in that kind of marriage, please get counseling. Please do. Because God did not design that relationship to be that way. And if you're in a marriage, you know, if you're a, a wife and you're a woman and you're in a relationship or in a marriage with a man that's miserable, and somebody says, so is marriage everything that you have hoped for? And, and they say to you, well, if your hope was simply marrying a cross between Shrek and an orangutan, then yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, that they're messy. They're absolutely messy. And they're 30 years old and they still don't know how to aim, you know? That was a delayed response, was it not? Like, Mark, you need, a, you need like a sensor buzzer up there that says things and somebody pushes and a big red light comes on. No. Because those kinds of relationships don't make you think, that's what I want. You know, yes. As a young girl, maybe you say, boy, that, I've always dreamed of having that kind of relationship, you know, with that kind of man. That's exactly, no, that is not, you know, you see, God does not want begrudging submission upon our ha- on our behalf but what god desires what god desires is this god desires from you and i that of a delightful obedience a delightful obedience yes because when you get around a man or a woman who is in a marriage who they're loving god with all their heart their mind their soul they're loving their wife you know as themselves or their husband as themselves when you get in that then that flows out into all areas of their life and they desire to serve them however they can they don't speak negative of their spouse never absolutely not even though they know that they're not perfect they become experts in the strength of their sta- of their of their spouse and not that of the weakness of their spouse absolutely not yes we they delight in one another that's what our heart longs for so is the same way god wants you to follow him in life via his commands and we understand because god is about god that his commands his commands for you and i are always good and they always result in our joy it's the way god has designed it maybe not happiness but they result in our joy if god is for god That sets me free to not be the point. That does. If God is for God, that means all the commands of God can be trusted because he's not after some begrudging, begrudging submission, but a delightful obedience. God is for God. You have to understand it. That's the lens in which we understand wisdom. The second thing is this, that God has designed the world to work in a specific way, leading to his glory and his joy. Can I read from the book of Proverbs, chapter 8, and verse 22? If we're going to talk about wisdom, then it would be a miss for us to not read from the book of Proverbs together for a moment. Proverbs 22, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. This is actually wisdom speaking to us is what it is. I like the book of Proverbs. It's wisdom speaking. The first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there was no springs absorbing with water, uh, abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world, When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, 
when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then it was beside, then I was beside him like a master workman. I was, I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Now, listen to what he says to us here. And now, O sons, listen to me, listen to wisdom. Blessed are those who keep my ways, hear instruction, and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. And listen to what he says. For whoever finds me, wisdom, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me, injures or hurts himself, all who hate me love death. What powerful words concerning wisdom from the book of Proverbs for us this morning. Because the world can say, here's what wisdom is. The world says, here's the Webster definition of wisdom. And then we can find philosophers like Shakespeare or Aristotle or others that say, here's what wisdom is. But when you go to the Bible, what we understand is the biblical definition of wisdom is this. It's, the, it's that we fear the Lord. It's, it's this healthy understanding of who God is, that we fear the Lord. The beginning of wisdom and knowledge is an understanding that this, that God has designed this world. As the creator, he has designed this world. And his commands about this world has been given to you and I and how to navigate the world that God has designed and that those commands transcend our thoughts. They transcend our ideas. He made it. God knows how it works. God has not abandoned you and I to fumble through life to just find our way like we're in a, in a dark room feeling our way around the walls to find the light switch at some point. He has not done that. He's revealed to us true wisdom as opposed to false wisdom. And he says, if you walk in true wisdom, then you're going to find life and you're going to be blessed by the Lord. And if you find false wisdom, then it's going to bring harm to your life. God is for God. And God has wired the universe to work in a specific way for his glory and for our good. He wants you to understand that. And that's the lens that we see wisdom through. That's how we see wisdom. So here are those six verses again from the book of James. Very short. Let me read them to you one more time. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above. This is earthly wisdom. We talked about this. This is foolish. This is foolishness is what this is. But is earthly wisdom, unspiritual, demonic, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above, earth, heavenly wisdom, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the harvest, the result is, is a harvest of righteousness is shown in peace by those who make peace. False wisdom rejects everything that we just said about God is for God and about God has created the earth in a certain way, for his certain design, for his glory, and for our joy. It rejects all of that. Because what false wisdom said is about me. This is about me. And so what we do is we take this God who has created all things, and we say, 
My knowledge trumps that. My knowledge supersedes that. That I know more than the God that sustains this very world. Because here's the thing, that this false wisdom is rooted in this thought that, well, God is for me, and there's really no right way to live in this life, and there's no direction for this life. So I just kind of, I'm, I'm autonomous, and I, I work my, my own, you know, I work my own life out. And false wisdom is marked James says, by bitterness, it's marked by jealousy and self-ambition. And it it just has to be, if you think that God is all about you, that you're the sun that he orbits around in life, God is for God, and that frees me to live for him, and that frees me to live for others. Why? Because I'm not going through life having all these expectations of everybody around me that thinks that they should do for me, and if it doesn't line up, then I become angry, and I live this life simply locked in this cycle of anger. No, it's not that, that God is for God that frees me to live for him and it frees me to live for others. And he's designed this world and he's giving me ways to navigate through it. Understand that leads to the fullness of life. And that is true wisdom. That's true wisdom. False wisdom says, I will find my own way. True wisdom says, because it's about me. True wisdom says, it's not about me, but it's about God. And it's about God designing the world in a certain way. And God has given me things to help navigate me through this life. That is true wisdom. What are you leaning on? You're you're either one or the other. There is no neutrality in this. Where do you lean this morning? Are you leaning on yourself? Are you trying to work this out on your own abilities and your own intellect? If you are, then that is false wisdom. Understand that. It's never going to hold up. It's not going to work. It's going to fail you because it says this false wisdom is first earthly. And here's what that means, that it doesn't consider eternity because false wisdom is built on everything that you can see in the little box that you live. It's built on today. It's built on what makes you happy right at this very moment in your life. And if we really look at the happiness issue of our life seriously, do we really know what makes us happy outside of the moment of this of our life at this very moment? Do we really know? And most likely we do not. We do not. Because how many times have you said, if I could just have this, you know, if I, if this would just work out in my life, Man, I would be absolutely happy and fulfilled. It would if I could just have this relationship, that this would fulfill me and everything would be great in my life. And when you get there, you find out that you are empty. Why? Because you approach it with false wisdom. You have this expectation of something and it doesn't bear under the weight of your expectations. No, life is not about you, and life is not about me. Life is about God. It's not about me being awesome. It's about Him being awesome. And when I see life that way, oh, then I understand that when things are not my way, and things are tough, and I suffer loss and difficulty, what I realize is this, that I'm looking at from eternity, that God is working in my life for a greater purpose. Have you ever thought for a moment that the reason that you're having a tough time in your life right now is because God is working something in your life for a greater purpose. But when you function in false wisdom, all you work in is the box around your life every day. And God says, no, stop. Look at your life from that 10,000-year view back, that what you experience now is a blip on the radar screen compared to all eternity. 
You see, false wisdom only deals with today, and it doesn't deal with eternity. And then he goes on to say some really tough stuff. He says false wisdom is unspiritual and is demonic. It is absolutely demonic, it says. Why? It doesn't heed, it heeds nothing of the Holy Spirit's power in our life. It heeds nothing about the governance of God over my life. It's built upon a lie. It's built upon a lie. Understand that. The lie is that life is about you, and simply you are the center of everything, and God's purpose in life is to make you happy, and and that's all that God's purpose is, and that is absolutely untrue. God is for God, so it's built upon a lie, and I want to tell you, that's why he uses the word demonic, because who lies to you more than the devil, right? Ah, But I would rather... I would, I would rather believe myself. Yeah, that's false wisdom. I'd rather believe myself. Well, can I ask you, who's lied to you more than yourself, right? Isn't that right? Who has misled you more than yourself? Yes, absolutely, and that's who you trust, and that's who I trust at times in my life and in, in your life. And so I say to you this morning, when it goes, comes to this, that of false wisdom that it's unspiritual and it's absolute demonic. No, my way is not better than the way of the creator of the universe. So how are you trusting him? How are you trusting him this morning? Well, what about true wisdom? We finish with this and then we go to the Lord's table together. What about true wisdom? True wisdom is from above. Here's what true wisdom does. True wisdom sees life through the lens of eternity. It sees life through the lens of eternity. For what I realize is this about eternity, that there will be a day coming, there will be a day coming, and I'm a lot closer now than I was the moment I drove up into the parking lot this morning at 6 a.m., that there's a day coming that I will stand before God and I will give account to God for all of my actions in this life. There is a day coming that that is going to happen. And I don't say that to make you have some anxiety attack in your life this morning. That's not it at all, but it's the truth. So what I'm going to do with that of heavenly wisdom is I'm going to live my life and I'm going to love my wife and my children. I'm going to love you and I'm going to love my neighbor as messy and inconsistent as that is as a human being. I'm going to use the gifts that God has given me, always living in the knowledge that there is a day coming that I will stand before God. And this is not about perfection in my life, but this is about progress within my life and God growing me. It is. That is heavenly wisdom. How do you live your life? Yeah. How do you treat your neighbor? If you, if you lived your life, I'm not talking about fear. Understand that. No, no. I'm talking about framing it in heavenly wisdom. How you live in your life. Are you living your life in the light of the fact that there will be a day, there will be a moment that we will stand before the Lord and we will give an account to God for all the things that we have done in this life and how we have lived our life. That doesn't mean that you're not safe. That doesn't mean that God is going to cast you into outer darkness. That's not what I'm saying to you at all. Because when God sees you, he sees you through the blood of his son and the perfection of his son. I'm saying that, but there will be a moment then we will give an account to those things. So how are you living your life? It's a big question, isn't it? Yeah. That's why James is a pause in the busyness of our world to say, stop. Take a look in the mirror. Take a look at it. Stop for a moment and take a look. What do you see? Listen to the word of God. Remember we talked about hearers and doers. Listen to the word of God. What do you do with what you hear? 
Well, I came to church and I heard, but that's not enough. We've already discussed that. That's not enough. Absolutely not. Do you forget? We know that word forget means discard. Do you purposely push it to the side and not allow it to be applied to your life? What kind of wisdom are you using to live life with? God is ultimately about God. God has designed the the world in a way that he wants it to work for his glory and for our ultimately our joy. And so in light of those beautiful facts, I'm going to submit to God. I trust God. I trust him. I trust him because that of knowing that God is for God releases me to love him and to love others with all of my heart, soul, and mind. It releases me to understand that he doesn't want begrudging submission, but he wants delightful obedience for me. It does. To know that he has created the world in an order and yet for for his glory and for my joy says to me that he has not left me to fumble through this life, but yet he he has revealed himself through his word and given me direction because he loves me and he wants a relationship with me. So how are you trusting him this morning? Because really... This wisdom thing comes back to trust. How are you trusting him? You say, Mark, I got this big relationship thing going on, and I'm really, I don't, I don't know how to approach this. Well, how are you approaching it? Are you approaching it with that of false wisdom or true wisdom? Are you approaching it with earthly wisdom or heavenly wisdom? How are you approaching it? I have this decision in my life about a job. How are you approaching it? I have this decision in, in my life about, oh, just, just these, so many things I couldn't even tell you, Mark. Then how are you approaching it? Are you trusting God? Are you trusting God enough to say, this is not about me, but this is about him? Are you trusting in him enough to say, he has designed the world in a certain way for his glory and for my joy, and so I'm going to trust him? those are huge things they are huge god is for god yeah god has designed the world to work in a certain way for his his glory and my joy and so today is about trust yeah today is a huge day about trust in a moment we're going to call you forward and let you come to the lord's table here's what i would like you to do when you come today, after you take the wafer, you dip it into the cup, that you would take a moment to pray. That you would, again, James is that pause, that you would take a moment to pray. And you would simply address those things in your life that you are having to trust God over and say, God, how am I approaching these things? Is it through earthly wisdom or is it through heavenly wisdom? How am I approaching these things? God, am I trying to control everything? Do I believe that I'm the center of the universe? And Lord, that simply that I am the uttermost of your affection? Is that the way that I have looked at life? And, and if that's the way, then God, forgive me. Because this is about you, Lord. This is not about me being awesome, but about you in, in my lack of awesomeness. Then, then you're awesome, God. That's what this is about. 
And I'm not saying that God is going to, to give you, you know, the word. And, and he may, he may. I, I'm not saying that for all of you, God will just, boom, it's like a light comes on in your head and God gives you the word and you get up and, hey, I have the answer to that and I walk away. But what I'm telling you is, is that God will reveal himself to you. I truly believe that God will reveal himself to you. And God will give you direction today in the areas of trust within your life. Amen. Would you bow your heads for a word of prayer, please? Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that you are about you. And in light of that, that frees us to love others, that frees us to love you. God, that, ah, that frees us to serve you not out of this begrudging obedience, but yet that of a delightful love relationship with you. That you have designed the earth in a certain way and designed it for your glory and for our joy. And because of that, you have given us wisdom to navigate this life. We navigate this life in light of eternity. That we will not always be here. That there is a greater purpose in our lives than just the square that we live in. So we think outside of that. We look at the struggle, the tragedy. We look at the loss of our lives. And we look at that with eternal lens, realizing that you are doing a greater work in our lives for a greater purpose, even though we don't understand all the things that you're doing. So, Lord, today may we leave this place with a lens of heavenly wisdom, true wisdom in our lives. And through that, that you bring a harvest of righteousness. And we know that harvest of righteousness is your work in progress in our lives. Thank you for imputed righteousness, Father, through your Son, Jesus, that covers us, that when you see us, you see us through the perfection of your Son. But of a harvest of righteousness is that process of growth within us. And that harvest of righteousness is brought about in peace. So in light of that, God, may we rest in peace, in the fact that you are working in our hearts and our lives. May we rest in the fact that you are transforming us from the inside out. That you are and have made a way. And in that peace, we can trust you. So, Father, we trust you today with huge decisions. We trust you today with our lives, our relationships, our future. We trust you, God. 
Thank you, Lord, for wisdom this morning to navigate this life. Thank you, Father. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a moment, for a moment of meditation, we do not practice close communion, that meaning that you don't have to be a regular attender or member, but we do, we do practice a biblical communion, and that is that you must know Christ to partake. Because we would not want you to take unworthily, so we ask today that you know Christ, that you've made that decision for Him. That you've recognized your need for a Savior, you've asked Him to forgive you, you've accepted that forgiveness. It doesn't mean that you're perfect, because there's not one of there's not one in here that's perfect. But that you have accepted His forgiveness. So, Father, for those sitting here that are making that decision for you this morning, maybe for the first time in their life, work in their hearts and their lives. God, by your Spirit, reveal yourself to them as they ask for forgiveness of their sins. And they confess you as the Lord of their life. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you for your blood which was shed for the remission of our sins, for your body which was broken our healing. Thank you, Father, for this moment of remembrance of what you have done and of celebration of your soon return. Thank you, Lord, that in this work of the cross that we are complete and we find trust in you today, Lord. So this is all about you, Jesus. This is all about you. So bless the elements, Father, and we just give you thanks.